you're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today we're talking about Stevie in the Hospital, which originally aired April 9th, 2006, was directed by Steve Welch, written by David Eilenfeld and David Wright. Hi, I'm Jake, and your house has an alarming amount of grade on. And I'm David, and thank God telemarketing has no standards. And before we get into the episode, we have our community segment where we've got some poll results to look at for Hal's Dentist. Which, uh, for that episode, I chose Reese as Shittiest Kid for Blackmailing Lois and Dead Squirrel Stuff. <laughs> well... You chose Malcolm for wasting his life by sleeping. And uh, the internet agreed with me. Reese won with 46% of the vote, with Dewey coming in second with 30%, and Malcolm getting 23%. Shockingly, not a single vote for Francis, who was not in the episode. Hey. For either of these polls. <laughs> nice. And we have a reply from Erica on that one. Saying, Reese for many reasons. The squirrel, the mailboxes, selling tickets to watch Lois shower, wearing his helmet without buckling it, which is functionally the same as not wearing a helmet, but mostly for trying to make Lois crash. Just because he failed doesn't mean he's not shitty. You know, I didn't even notice the helmet thing. I'm with her on that one. Then, uh, for least shitty kid, you... Chose Dewey for helping Malcolm defeat his addiction to the cursed evil bed. While I chose Malcolm for pursuing his dreams. Literally. Yeah, literally. And the internet agreed with me on that one as well. That's total. You're all a bunch of lazy assholes. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Holy fuck. Wow, Dave. Sleep is killing you. One by one. I don't think you're lazy, audience. <laughs> Listen, I don't think the audience is lazy. I think the people who agreed with you that sleeping I mean, that much is normal. That's that's 54% of the audience, David. Well, I mean, they listen to us. Does it really surprise you? Your choice of Dewey got 36% of the vote, and Reese got 9%. <laughs> And we got a couple of replies on that poll. Uh, Eric replied on that one as well, saying, I gotta agree with Jake this time. Sleeping 18 plus hours per day is cool and fun. <laughs> Hell yeah, Eric. <laughs> then uh, Luke also replied to that poll, saying, Dewey robbed Malcolm of eternal bliss, and he's least shitty kid. It's not eternal Really? Uh, mm. <laughs> so I suppose... Not to get into spoilers, but I know who they're voting for this episode, then. Wow, that's different, David. Is it? Sleeping and death are different. Are they? Not when you're talking about sleeping forever and ever and ever and ever and never waking up, which is what Malcolm wanted to do. Yeah, but that's still not death, David. Sleeping is different. Nah, it's basically death. Also, it literally can kill you. It can literally kill you. Bah. You can- Don't get anything. You can drown. That doesn't mean water is bad. Yes, it does. Fuck water. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't realize you had a uh, Freaky Friday thing with Kyle. 
your anti-water stance. Uh, shout out to our roommate Kyle, who is still alive despite not drinking water. Right? Listen, I drink water. Drinking water's fine. All right. If you drown drinking water, that's a you problem. But like, <laughs> that's that's your fault at that point. Then uh, we got one more reply on that poll as Mr. Lewis Jenkins asked the question, did Dewey sell the bed? How did he get rid of it? Which is a fair question. He sent it to hell where it belongs. It was cursed. He threw it in the hell mouth that Hal has opened in the backyard. Oh, so you do think they're in California. There are other hell mouths, Jake. <laughs> well, yeah, but the other one that we know about in America is in Cleveland. They're and definitely Cleveland not in Ohio, so... <laughs> Maybe this is a secret Hellmouth. I don't think so. Of course you don't, because it doesn't support your bias. But uh, that wraps up our community segment, so let's get into this week's episode. Yeah, let's, Jake. And uh, it starts, of course, with a cold open in which uh, Reese is laying on the couch watching TV while Jamie is, like, sitting next to the couch playing, and Lois comes in holding Jamie's shoes and tells Jamie it's time for him to get ready. But as soon as Jamie sees his shoes, he lets out a high-pitched scream and runs away. And Lois asks, uh, what's gotten into him? And Reese says, I have no idea. And it cuts to Reese teaching Jamie how to tie his shoes, which starts off with the, like, normal... You know, teaching a kid thing of uh, the rabbit comes out of his hole and he runs around the tree, but then he won't stop laughing at you. So you grab him by the tail and it rips off in your hand. So you follow the trail of blood back to his hole and pull him out and strangle him. (laughs) And then you're ready to walk. (laughs) Oh, Reese. I mean... (laughs) But man, I get it though. Like, you know, whatever whatever gets the message across, right? I guess I don't know. That's right. It's a real Jake teaching <laughs> so, method right there. This is this is just creative teaching. Yeah. He's doing a good job. Yeah, I figured you would say that. <laughs> you're a monster. <laughs> and I know you don't really believe that, but I still you're a monster. <laughs> I would never say something I don't believe on this podcast, David. Yes. Literally every time we record, what are you talking about? I I would never lie to the audience that way. I mean everything I say. Are are you good going in front of a judge saying that? No. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) Specifically thinking about last week's episode. Yeah, right. (laughs) I was I was very concerned. (laughs) which to be fair is also the episode where you supported child labor so in moderation (laughs) (laughs) and uh getting into the episode proper uh we kind of have a single scene that sets up all of the plot lines that sort of split off from there so i think we're just going to cover that and then start splitting off Okay, that makes sense. As it uh, starts with Hal and the boys all sitting at the kitchen table, and Hal asks Reese if he wants to go take their new boat out on its maiden voyage. You know, uh, get out on the water and 
feel the wind rushing through their hair. And then he says, oh, like very excited and pulls a remote control boat up on the table to show Reese that uh, he redid the bathroom. Oh, boy. But Reese uh, turns him down, saying that he has to go to his new job that starts today. Uh, He has to, you know, do a good job and actually show up because this is the only job that would hire him. And that's where your opening line comes from. (laughs) See, he says, all the other jobs called my references. Uh, Thank God telemarketers have no standards. Yeah, (laughs) also fair. And he says that uh, his job is to call and harass old people and shut-ins all day. He's getting paid to do what he loves. And this is why Reese is no longer my client. I just can't, I can't defend some of these <laughs> things, man. Wow. Giving up on him in season seven, huh? I'm not giving up on him. I'm just not making my financial and legal success tied to his. <laughs> I still have Wow. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to make a pop culture joke, but I, I think it's too dark. <laughs> oh, God. Now I'm so curious. Uh, I was gonna. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's probably too dark. I'll probably edit that out. I'll leave your reaction in though. <laughs> yeah, you gotta cut that out. You cannot leave that in the podcast. <laughs> that's fair. Oh my god! Uh, but yeah, no, sorry, audience, you don't get to know what he said. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> so... I'll say it was not in good taste and leave it at that. Oh, dude, but... <laughs> but uh, moving away from that edit of the podcast... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Hal then, like, turns to Dewey and tries to get him to go with him. But Dewey also refuses. And when Hal asks him to give him one good reason why, Dewey just says... You're going to make me explain in detail why I don't want to go, and all that's going to do is hurt your feelings, so let's save us both the trouble. Ten points for honesty, (laughs) minus twenty for being a dick. Then he turns to Malcolm and says, uh, this could be our last chance to, you know, spend time together before you leave for college. But Malcolm also turns him down, saying that Stevie had his surgery yesterday, and he's just now out of intensive care, and he wants to go see Stevie. Lois comes in, and Dewey asks her if she remembered uh, to buy the baking soda for his uh, class project. And she says that she forgot, and Dewey says, How? I asked you like five times, and she says, That part I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And... Dewey, like, follows her to the door, complaining that, you know, uh, this was his part of the project and his partner's going to be mad. (laughs) And as she's going out to work, Lois just tells him, do the same thing your brother did. Take baby powder and blame the guy who brought the vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) And that sort of sets up all of the plot line. Uh, So I think from there, we will go to... Reese's plotline is it's the most disconnected from everything else. Fair. And we follow him to his first day of work. Do we? Did you forget something, Jake? Jesus. Just really falling apart today, Jake. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's only because of the power of editing. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Um... 
I think you called this the SPH plot for Suicide Prevention Hotline. I am so glad I changed it. Damn it. <laughs> that was legitimately the first one that I picked, yeah. Oh, I'm man, I almost didn't change it. But you know what? Unlike some of us, I thought, man, that's too dark of a joke. <laughs> I said it, David, <laughs> before I even made the joke. <laughs> uh, no, I changed, uh, I changed the name because I, I thought that would be uh, too dark. Fair. So I went with the OS plotline for Office Space. Okay. Okay, I, I can see that. I went for basically the same joke, just way more subtly. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but uh, we, we follow him to his first day, and we get, like, a slow pan over as the, the camera is, like, uh, you know, tracking the, uh, like, one of his coworkers who's, you know, going through, like, a standard telemarketer script. And then it, like, uh, pans over to the next guy who's, like, you know, perfectly picks up from the, uh, like, last line. Uh, reading from the same script. And then it goes over to Reese, who is, like, sitting back with his feet on his desk and uh, telling the person on the line, well, uh, you'll probably be dead by morning. <laughs> and he tells them to stop wasting his time. He'll find someone who wants to live. Jesus. And uh, apparently this tactic works. <laughs> he says, okay, I'll put you down for two. But next time, don't jerk me around first. <laughs> and his boss comes over to check on him. And Reese says that he's doing great, that people are stupid and they'll believe anything you tell them. He threw away the fact sheet and has just started making stuff up. And the uh, boss, like, thinks about it for a second and says, yeah, that's fine. I made up the fact sheet anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And he uh, looks at Reese's uh, sales numbers and says, Wow, six sales in 20 minutes, you're a natural. And he tells him that he has a real shot at winning the sales competition. Uh, which, first prize is a flat screen TV, uh, second prize is a barbecue grill, and third prize is one of their air filters. You don't want one. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's really going to kick our buddy Jared in overdrive, man. He's going to gonna have to really uh get some get some rounds in get some reps in for this competition i gotta get those sales up <laughs> you want that that flat screen tv that's right and uh we see reese make another call uh you know now motivated by this competition to do even better and uh as he makes this call he says no no don't put your mom on the phone just get her credit card. God. Oh, <laughs> Reese, you're evil, and I love it. Uh, then we see uh, Reese uh, back at home talking about how much he loves his new job. Uh, as he tells Malcolm and Dewey that you can get away with anything when you're talking to people on the phone. You can even claim to be a doctor, and everyone will believe you. Even other doctors. <laughs> God. <laughs> and... Uh, back at work, we see that uh, Reese has moved up from not being on the board at all to now being number three in the sales contest. And the other two telemarketers are discussing him and, like, how well he's doing, and they're worried about him winning. But uh, One of them says, you know, not to worry about it, that uh, he gave Reese the list of people that already told them to go to hell. And they, like, do a fist bump. <laughs> 
But then we see Reese on this call. And he manages to spin it being a return call in his favor as he tells them, you know, uh, we wouldn't be calling you back unless it was an emergency. And that's where my opening line comes from as uh, he says the utility company told them they detected unusually high levels of Gradon in their house. And that they have been chosen to survive, unlike their neighbors. <laughs> and uh, to like, you know, sell this point, he says, I don't even care if you buy it from us. I gave you the number to our competitor. Please just call someone and get an air filter for your own good. And then he hangs up. And a few seconds later, a second phone that's sitting on his desk rings. And Reese answers it with, like, a fake high voice. <laughs> Man. <laughs> and the next time we come to this office, we see that Reese is now tied for first in this contest. And he's, like, walking past one of his co-workers who tried to sabotage him, who is on the phone. And he's, uh, you know, unable to, like, get a single word in with this uh, customer. And Reese, like, stops and tells him, you know... I know I'm the new guy, but it looks like you could use some help. And uh, he tells me, you know, you've been talking to this person for half an hour and you haven't made a sell. That uh, doesn't work. Remember your ABCs. Always be selling. <laughs> uh, I worked for a dude who used that. <laughs> I wanted to punch myself in the face. Fair. I like he if you use that you're too dumb for me to hit you like that then it's like some <laughs> yes. sort of it, it's on you for interacting yeah exactly like <laughs> yeah god dude I legitimately like and he sold insurance too which is not an easy like comparatively to the things that I've sold in my life not an easy thing to sell like god Reese is like the perfect character to get into this like niche fucking weird sales competition yeah he is basically dom patrick bateman <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> it fits it really does <laughs> and oh god hearing you describe it as dumb patrick bateman that might just be my favorite describe like descriptor for reese ever at, at least he won't try to convince you that uh you know Really boring pop rock is transformative before he kills you. So <laughs> wow. there's that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but Jake, it's so inspired. We're bad people. <laughs> <laughs> We're really on a roll today. We are. <laughs> uh, me working this much has brought out the worst in you. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording later, so this is this is a uh, life is unfair after hours. Oh, I see. This is yeah. This is Jake after dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you should just edit out all of your fucking like sh dark jokes <laughs> and I just mean, leave in my expressions. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll keep the Patrick May one. That that one's fine. That, that one's fine. fine. But it would be funny if you literally edited them all out. And then just let I'll people fill it. in their fucking, <laughs> fill it in for themselves. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> oh. But uh, Reese's co-worker, like, tries to explain to Reese what the problem is, but Reese cuts him off before he can explain it. And uh, Reese 
says, all right, let me show you how it's done, and takes the phone from his co-worker and puts it on speakerphone and, like, sits in the guy's chair. And Reese uh, asks, okay, uh, you know, stop wasting our time. Give me one good reason why you don't need our air purifier. And the guy on the other end of the line says, because I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. And Reese immediately says, that excuse won't work with me. I use it all the time. <laughs> but then this guy starts uh, explaining how shitty his life is, you know, why he's suicidal, saying he's clinically depressed. His cat died because it was allergic to him. His wife ran off with his brother, Ted, and now his family is taking Ted's side. And realizing that this guy is serious... Uh, Reese, like, covers the receiver and tells his co-worker, get the manual. Then, when we come back, Reese is still on the phone with this, uh, suicidal customer. And everyone in the office is, like, gathered around watching. And the guy on the phone is, you know, still talking about how shitty his life is, saying that he's overweight and doesn't have any friends and no one will even miss him. He's just gonna hang up. But Reese stops him and says... You know, uh, his life isn't great either. He might not even graduate high school. He's broke. No one would miss him if he was gone either. But now his life has meaning because they met. And uh, Lyle, who is the uh, customer, says, uh, you mean like fate? And Reese says, yeah, I think fate brought us together. And he says, you know, uh, life is like a roller coaster. We uh, need the, the down so that we can have fun going back up. And Lyle says, uh, you know, I actually am starting to feel a little better talking to you. And Reese talks him into uh, flushing the pills that he apparently was going to take. And, you know, he says, I want to hear them flush. And uh, he hears the sound of the toilet flushing. And he tells Lyle that, uh, you know, he should be proud of what he did for himself today. And, like, uh, everyone who's watching in the office is, like, cheering and celebrating. Then Reese continues as he says, you know, you should treat yourself to something nice, like a dozen air purifiers. And uh, Lyle, like, says, I don't know, that sounds kind of expensive. And Reese says, uh, I just saved your life and now you're doubting me? Then he tells Lyle, uh, the longer you wait, the higher the price goes. I want those numbers now, as Lyle is like, trying to get his credit card out to buy these air filters. And the co-worker that uh, Reese like took this call over from turns to the supervisor and just says, uh, just give him the TV. <laughs> and that wraps up his plot line. Uh, so from there, we will go to the Dewey and Lois centered plot line. And um, I think you called this the CD plot. For carbon dioxide. <laughs> no, no. Okay. This is the G plot, Jacob. For gaslighting. Ah. I thought it would be about the volcano experiment. <laughs> I thought about something similar, but I didn't I didn't think about the carbon dioxide thing. Uh, <laughs> I it would have just been the BS plot line for baking soda. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you gotta give Dewey what he's missing. But it starts with Dewey walking in from school, carrying his volcano with a, uh, like, piece of paper taped to it with a big red F. 
And as he walks in, Lois, who was doing dishes, asks how his day was, and Dewey just glares at her. Then, like, continues to glare as he walks over with it to the trash that's right next to her. And just, like, stares as he drops the volcano into the trash can while she ignores him. Then, uh, starting with the next morning, we get a montage of petty revenge. Yep. <laughs> as Lois wakes up and, like, you know, puts her slippers on and then realizes that they've been swapped around so they're on the wrong feet. Then she tries to take a drink of her coffee, uh, but her uh, world's greatest mom coffee cup has like a chip and a crack in it, so she spills it on herself. And then she puts on a shirt, but one of these sleeves is significantly shorter than the other. And at that point, she goes to the boys' room and says, I know one of you is messing with me. Who is it? <laughs> And when they, like, ask what she means, she holds her, like, arms up and asks, uh, why one of my sleeves is, uh, shorter than the other? Which, Reese says, maybe one of your arms is growing longer, and she says, they're not, I measured. <laughs> Which terrifies me that Lois thought of the same thing Reese did first. <laughs> and she says that, uh, she knows that someone is messing with her, because all of these small things have been wrong. Her mirror, the mirrors in her car were askew. Her toothbrush was wet. Uh, and the lint trap that she uh, emptied this morning is now magically full of lint. <laughs> and she demands to know who's responsible. And Malcolm asks why they would do any of that to her. And Dewey like chimes in saying, yeah, why would we do that? Huh. And she just like glares at him. <laughs> <laughs> She knows. <laughs> no, she suspects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the same as knowing your mom. You don't. You don't need beyond a reasonable doubt. the The parenting level of proof that is, is just you know, I think it. It's it's not even preponderance of the evidence. There doesn't have to be evidence. Ah, uh, it's the. Uh, I think therefore you're guilty. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I believe uh, Descartes came up with that parenting technique. <laughs> oh, dude, speaking of parenting techniques, holy fuck. I'm yes. sorry, like, not to derail the fucking podcast for a second, but I got into it with this fucking, like, muscle-bound Joe bro on fucking TikTok. He posted this stupid-ass fucking video that's apparently, like, going around and this dude's starting to gain traction and where he's, like, talking about how, like, your six- and seven-year-old should be able to, like, make their own lunch for school and they should be coming and getting you and if they don't if they don't tell you it's time to go and aren't getting their like shit ready and da 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 da, da like that's on them. I'm like how fucking much of an alpha male jock gym bro fucking lazy ass shithead meathead parent do you have to be to be like my seven year old should be an adult. Fair. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> fucking that shit got under my skin today. Sounds like an asshole. But anyways, if you see that fucking near-bald, neo-Nazi-looking dude, fuck him. <laughs> dude, it, I'm sorry. He does look like every neo-Nazi I've ever met. Okay. Anyways. R really give uh, bald guys a bad name. No, he's... Hey, now. That's okay, David. I'll just edit that out. Yeah, yeah, edit that out and leave in your, uh, <laughs> your reaction. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, I did not mean to derail the podcast, but like, man, 
that guy pissed me the fuck off today. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, the next time we see Lois, she is hiding in the closet in her own room. As Hal uh, opens the closet door and she like jumps out and says, gotcha. aha, gotcha. <laughs> and Hal like jumps back and she says, oh, I thought it was going to be someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the look of confusion that Hal has on his face here. <laughs> like he is clearly flabbergasted, but knows better than to ask. And uh, she explains that she thinks one of the boys is messing with her because today her bookmark was on the wrong page and there was a loose thread on her smock. And then her car radio was tuned to the station next to the one she always listens to. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't sound crazy at all. Yes, even she realizes it as she's saying all of these things. She says, okay, I know I sound crazy. And Hal, like, takes her away uh, to uh, relax by helping Malcolm with a project. (laughs) And as soon as she's out of the room, Dewey steps out of the closet, which he was hiding in, like, behind where Lois was hiding. (laughs) And takes a pair of scissors and uh, cuts the uh, top button of her work shirt off. (laughs) Which is... That runs away. Devious. (laughs) It's fantastic. Oh, I love it. It's it's great, but it's devious. Some of the things Dewey does in this is, I wish I'd have seen this show when I was younger, dude. Like, as much shit as we've done to our family, if I'd have had these ideas. Fair. This, this is very similar to what all of me and my siblings would do to my mom growing up. You guys were horrible like, to your mom. <laughs> a lot of, like small dumb things like this like if we saw her put her keys down we would just move them somewhere else uh should i get into the really shitty stuff you guys would do well uh i think we've talked about the cane thing have we yeah 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 yeah. god you monsters i I was thinking of the much smaller things Um, my favorite uh, one was still when she was recovering from her first back surgery, you fuckers and, and her little grabby thing. They would put her grabber that she had to grab things that were out of reach or on the floor literally like six inches out of reach so that she could have hope of reaching it <laughs> but couldn't reach it because they were monsters. Yeah, it was also like a running thing because... Like, my mom, like, almost exclusively when I was growing up, drank, like, tea. So it was a thing that, like, if we saw her, like, put her, like, cup of tea down, we would just, like, pick it up and just chug the entire thing. Oh, I forgot about (laughs) that. Yeah. (laughs) Including my brother, who doesn't like tea at all. (laughs) But we would all do it just as, like, a... So that, you know, when she, you know, turns around, her cup that was just full is now empty. (laughs) God. Uh, uh, good times. Man, I was nice to my mom. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> uh, in our defense, one, it was funny. Uh-huh. And two, she also did shit like that to us and my dad, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> that Malcolm level of shittiness is starting to come out of you. <laughs> she did. One time when my dad, like, told me about, like, when he was a kid, he was always like, 
super scared of like any scary movie where like monsters were under the bed. We were like watching a horror movie where it came up. And like uh, a few minutes later, like, he like went to the bathroom. So my mom hid under the couch, which was like a like pretty like raised up couch that had like a blanket over it. So you couldn't see so that she could then grab his ankle when he sat down. Yeah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong <laughs> like, with that. Yeah. yeah. That was just how our family functioned, David. Function's a strong <laughs> word for it. That's fair. <laughs> that was how our family existed. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Any given scenario, like, if something was off, it was immediately like, is this a bit? <laughs> is one of my family members pranking me right now? Because usually they were. Uh... Which also makes watching you interact with Kyle hilarious because he'll just go off on one of his tangents and Jake will legitimately get confused and the look on his face is priceless. Because he's, he's almost like, he's like one step shy of looking for hidden cameras. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a setup, David. I know it's set up when I see it. <laughs> Uh, this plot line uh, wraps up as Lois is in her room alone, folding some laundry, and uh, her alarm clock goes off, and she, like, turns it off, and she hears, like, a thud sound, and she, like, starts looking around, initially, like, opening the closet, and as she's, like, looking around, checking all these hiding places in her room, she's, like, talking out loud... Saying, okay, Dewey, I know that it's you. Reese would have been bragging by now. And Malcolm doesn't have the patience for this. That just leaves you. <laughs> you know, she's not wrong on those assessments either. Like, that's pretty spot fucking on. Fair. <laughs> and uh, she says that, uh, you know, if she had any proof, then they would be having this conversation uh, while she was walling him up in his out uh, the closet in his room, <laughs> but uh, since she doesn't, uh, she's willing to make peace. And she says, uh, "Is this about the volcano?" Well, uh, sh she agrees to be a more attentive mother in the future, which she would have been anyways. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. If he stops this campaign to drive her crazy, then. <laughs> She asks for a sign to show that they're on the same page. And uh, after like a few seconds, there's the, you know, two uh, like taps. And she like looks pleased and walks away. Then the camera cuts to the outside view, looking at her window as a tree branch hits the window, making the tapping sound. And that wraps that plot line up, leaving only the uh, titular plot line, which, uh, Follows Malcolm and Hal, and I think you named this the DB plot for Danger Boat. No, this is, you never would have guessed this timeline, or this timeline, fuck. You never would have guessed <laughs> this plot line's name, because this is the TUF plot. For? Time Under Fire, which will make sense what? later. Don't you worry. Okay. Don't you worry, buddy. I'll take your word for it, I guess. <laughs> it may or may not be foreshadowing. Ah. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, it picks up with uh, Hal at the park with his boat, uh, with Jamie, who's the only one he could convince to go with him. <laughs> she like looks at Jamie and says, I'm glad you changed your mind and decided to come with me. <laughs> and he uh, is like showing off the boat saying, uh, look, it's re- the deck is real teak. And there's a functional foghorn. And he, like, pushes a button on the remote control and it starts, like, making a foghorn sound. And when Jamie, like, reaches out for the boat, Hal, like, uh, pulls it away and says, Hey, this isn't a toy. (laughs) It literally is, Hal. (laughs) (laughs) And they are, like, sitting on a park bench, which a kid comes over and tells Hal, This is my park bench. And Hal tells him, uh, you know, no one owns a park bench, and uh, Jamie is much more direct, just like blowing a raspberry at the kid. Like, <laughs> get fucked, and, mate. Uh, Hal uh, tells Jamie to stop and like tries to reason with the kid. Uh, you know, saying you know, there's plenty of other park benches, and uh, when this kid is uh, still insisting, yeah, but I want this one, Hal just says, "I'll take a hike, kid." <laughs> <laughs> And he stares Hal down for, like, a few seconds and then walks away. Then when Hal puts his boat in the water, the bench kid uh, puts his boat in. And he has, like, a speedboat. And he, like, does circles around Hal's boat. And then, like, uh, you know, blows past him, capsizing his boat. And when Hal, like, turns and asks... What are you doing? The kid says, Well, it looks like I'm sinking your boat. God. <laughs> As Hal's boat does, in fact, sink. And back at the Wilkerson house, Malcolm walks in, and Lois asks him how Stevie was. And Malcolm says that he never made it. He uh, tried to take the express bus, but accidentally ended up on a shuttle to the airport. They really need to label the- those things better. Which Lois points out they're bright red and they say airport shuttle. (laughs) You know, but Malcolm might have a point. They really, really got to work on that labeling. Clearly. God. (laughs) And uh, Malcolm complains that, you know, they even drove right past the hospital, but the driver refused to stop. It's like people don't even care these days. (laughs) (laughs) But Lois tells Malcolm, you know, it's no big deal. You can go see him tomorrow. Then we see Malcolm's next attempt to go visit Stevie as he is at the hospital. uh, And he asks the receptionist, uh, you know, which room he's in. And she gives him the room number. uh, And the receptionist is played by Jan Hogue, (laughs) who, uh, David? Yeah. Was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Of course she was. (laughs) She was Xander's cousin, Carol. She wanted to fuck a demon. I, what? <laughs> yeah. I don't remember this episode. Uh, uh, Xander and Anya's uh, wedding. Oh. Because oh. uh, all of Anya's wedding guests are demons. That's. And, uh, they, they have told them are like circus freaks. That's <laughs> Their cousin right. Carol gets like really into one of them. That's right. <laughs> Man. Uh, you oh. know, it's been a couple years since I've watched Buffy. I didn't do my normal annual, you know, rewatch with you last year. I don't know why. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Maybe you just aren't the Buffy fan I thought you were. Shut up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, to be fair, I didn't watch it with you this year either. She, like, tells Malcolm the room number, and he, like, uh, starts to uh, walk away, and then he, like, stops and 
explains to her that he was going to visit yesterday, but his lunch bag had a hole in it, and everything fell out. His sandwich was fine, but his orange rolled down the hill, and by the time he caught it, he was late for school. <laughs> she just, like, blankly stares at him and says, It's still room 220. <laughs> yeah, get shit on, Malcolm. <laughs> then... Malcolm asks, uh, where could I find a gift around here? And she says, you could try the gift shop. <laughs> and Malcolm says, oh, yeah, right. And then just, like, awkwardly, like, stands there, like, leaning against her desk for, like, a solid five seconds of awkward silence. Yeah, Malcolm takes the whole awkward thing to a whole nother level, bro. <laughs> and he does finally make it to the gift shop where he starts talking to the gift shop employee, uh, who is played by John Balba, who uh, I mostly know as the, like, main weirdo accountant from Parks and Rec, who works at the accounting firm uh. that uh, Ben, like, gets hired for and then, like, keeps quitting, and they get, like, increasingly obsessed with him. Yeah, that's that's the only place I know him from, so. Yeah, he's definitely been in a bunch of other stuff, but uh, in my mind, he is that guy. <laughs> And this character has very similar energy. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it is very much so just basically the same guy. Yes. But uh he asks Malcolm if he can help him, as Malcolm is like looking at all the gift cards, and Malcolm asks, Do you have any gift cards that don't say get well? And he says, Well, this is a hospital, so we're generally cheering for the patients. That that line is great. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Malcolm says, you know, these are all really generic. He wants something special for his best friend. Uh, this employee, like, uh, suggests flowers, and Malcolm says, I'm not asking him to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, shows Malcolm a teddy bear and says, you know, these are very popular. And uh, Malcolm, like, looks at it and says Stevie would be allergic to the fur, the stuffing, the plastic eyes. And then he, like... Holds up the tag that has, like, all the allergy listings on it and says, And what is this made of? <laughs> uh. <laughs> then uh, we come back to Malcolm, who is still in the gift shop. <laughs> it is now nighttime. And he's still talking to that same employee who looks, like, very bored and annoyed. <laughs> and he's, like, holding a hula guy up. And Malcolm says... Okay, I've decided. Uh, I'll take the hula guy. And the employee asks, are you sure? And Malcolm says, yes. And he puts it with a pile of other things. And Malcolm says, okay, we have our top ten. <laughs> now we just have to go over the pros and cons for all of these. <laughs> One last time. And uh, at that point, uh, the... Uh, over the PA, a voice says that it is now 9 o'clock, visiting hours are over. And Malcolm looks at the gift shop guy and says, How could you let this happen? And, like, slams his fist down. <laughs> which triggers the uh, uh, motion sensor on the uh, belly of the big mouth bass <laughs> boy that was in the potential pile, which starts seeding achy, breaky hearts. Oh, I love it. <laughs> We see Malcolm at home on the phone talking to the hospital, making sure everything is perfect so he can make sure he gets to see Stevie this as he's, you know, checking to make sure there's not any more construction or quarantines. 
And they're not planning on moving the hospital before he gets there. And he uh, finally hangs up saying, Okay, fine, go take care of your precious b I'm sorry, his what? <laughs> Bus crash. There you go. Good job, buddy. Nice flub. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, David. Uh-huh, yeah, you'll probably edit that out. No, I'll be too busy editing out all the <laughs> offensive jokes you made. Oh, yeah, me. No, that was you. Then, <laughs> uh... Malcolm, like, turns to camera and says, you know, everything is laid out perfectly. He's definitely going to see Stevie this time. Uh, you know, he's uh, gotten directions. He has the perfect gift. And he, like, holds up a plate of cookies and says, uh, Stevie's favorite cookies. And as he's, like, walking out to the car, he says, you know, there's very few things in this world more precious than friendship. And he turns and sees Hal working on his, putting his boat together. And Hal, like, uh, you know, exclaims uh, as he's, like, you know, struggling to get everything put back together. And Malcolm turns to camera and says, uh, why did it have to happen now? And, like, walks over to Hal asking what the problem is. Which the uh, problem that Hal had was he put the batteries in backwards. <laughs> but uh, Hal, like, explains what happened. And Malcolm tells him that, you know, he has to fight back. That, you know, he... He always raised them to stand up for themselves. He needs to stand up to this kid. Which Hal says, I can't beat up a 10-year-old. Maybe I could hold him down while you beat him. <laughs> God. Uh, Malcolm tells him, yeah, no, we're going to beat him in the water. I'm going to help you soup your boat up. Uh, you know, he's going to increase its power and put a titanium tip on it. They're going to destroy this other kid's boat. <laughs> and they, like, start making adjustments, and Malcolm gives Hal one of the cookies that were meant for Stevie. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not going to the hospital. Stevie doesn't need him now. Then, uh, in the scene where Hal <laughs> discovers Lois in the closet, he's, like, preparing to, you know, uh, help Malcolm... Uh, you know, continue fixing up his boat, and he puts his skipper's hat on, <laughs> and, uh, like, salutes the mirror before he goes off, <laughs> and the project that he tells Lois uh, will really help her relax is helping weaponize his boat with Malcolm. <laughs> then, uh, we see Hal and Malcolm at the park, as Hal is telling Malcolm to, you know, look natural, pretend like we're just a father and a son here to... Play with our remote control boat in the water. <laughs> and he, like, points out a woman with a stroller and, like, makes Malcolm wave at her and then says, All right, she bought it. <laughs> and they uh, go and sit on the park bench. And Malcolm says, you know, he hopes this kid shows up soon. He wanted to see Stevie today. And Hal says, well, didn't you just see him yesterday? And Malcolm says no. And Hal says, oh, well, how many times did you see him this weekend? And Malcolm says, I didn't make it this weekend. And Hal asks, uh, how many times have you seen Stevie since his surgery? And Malcolm says, uh, well, if you add it all up, uh, zero. And Hal tells him he's clearly trying to avoid an unpleasant situation, and that's why he keeps having, you know, these uh, obvious, like, self-sabotaging excuses. And Malcolm tells him that, you know, uh, he and Stevie have always had an unspoken agreement that, uh, you know, Malcolm would uh, treat him like everyone else, and they've never talked about how serious Stevie's illnesses actually are. And he's worried that, you know, seeing Stevie in a hospital bed, you know, potentially hooked up to machines, he won't be able to ignore, 
you know, uh, how sick Stevie actually is. Good. And uh, Hal tells him, you know, uh, you're overthinking it. Sometimes all you have to say is hello. And Malcolm says, yeah, wow, that, that was perfect. And it's so simple. And Hal says, yeah, I got it off that bench, Ed. That bus bench ad over there. It's for a long distance call company. <laughs> uh... But Hal tells him, you know, go see Stevie. And Malcolm does. And well, uh, as soon as Malcolm is gone, the uh, speedboat like comes out from behind some reeds. And Hal looks over to see his rival standing there. And... Hal, like, extends the antenna on his remote control and says, It's high noon somewhere, <laughs> as he puts his boat in the water. And they both, like, rev the engine of their boats and, like, uh, you know, start to go out into the water. And when the kid starts doing what he did before, like, you know, speeding past Hal's boat, uh, Hal pulls out a, like, secret panel on his remote with a big red button under it. <laughs> And when he presses it, two, like, little pontoons come out the side of the boat to, like, stabilize it so it doesn't flip over. And Hal, like, turns and says, you didn't see that coming, did you? But the kid, uh, like, uses his boat to knock the little pontoons off. And then he, like, speeds past again, sending Hal's boat into the air. And it lands upside down. And... Hal, like, you know, pretends to be really upset and says, Oh no, what am I gonna do now? Maybe this? <laughs> and he, like, once again opens the little, like, secret panel on his remote control and pushes the button. And when he does, the boat, like, splits open, revealing, like, a much smaller boat inside. And when he pushes the button again... It launches and, like a torpedo, just obliterates this kid's boat. Yeah, that's a real sneaky trick. <laughs> and the kid, like, turns and looks at Hal and says, You destroyed my boat! And Hal says, Yeah, it's that kind of party. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid starts to cry and say, That was my grandfather's boat. He gave it to me just before he died. As everyone who's, like, walking by in the park is now, like, glaring at Hal, who just says, he started it. <laughs> <laughs> then, at the hospital, Malcolm finally comes into Stevie's room. And he, like, you know, awkwardly, like, walks in and then immediately tears into Stevie, <laughs> saying, well, look who it is in the hospital, Stevie Carnarvon, surprise, surprise. If you think I'm going to feel sorry for you, you've got another thing coming. I didn't feel bad for you when they uh, bolted your spine. I didn't feel bad when you got mold on your brain, and I'm not going to feel bad now. And he, like, starts to march away, saying, uh, I'm glad you didn't die. See you when you get out. And he, like, slams the door. And then, like, comes back a second later and says, Oh, and here's your cookie. And pulls a cookie out of his pocket and throws it to Stevie. <laughs> Pocket cookie. <laughs> right? I mean, you've already got pocket dogs and pocket sand. That's Ew. a lot of cross-contamination going on. Yeah. Also, no. But, yes. And uh, Stevie just turns to his, uh, like, hospital room roommate and says, Told you he'd come. <laughs> oh, Stevie. Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. You have too much faith. 
And that wraps the episode up. <laughs> so let's go to our awards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you go with, David? So I went with uh, Dewey popping out of the closet, the little gag that they do there. Um, I just, the way that he like pops out from behind the clothes that Lois was also like kind of hiding in and also the like sort of, I don't know, the way that he acts when he cuts off the the top button kind of reminds me of like uh, the old like spy versus spy cartoons, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just, I love the way that that looks. I think it's hilarious. I think it's, it's good physical acting to, to sort of accompany what's going on as well as just super fucking funny. Fair enough. Uh, I gave it to a different moment from that same plotline. I gave it to the uh, Petty Revenge montage, <laughs> as I have labeled it. Uh, that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair label. It's all just such small, innocuous stuff. It's so perfect. It is. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the sleeve being, like, shorter than the other sleeve is just such a, like, weird, funny little conclusion to it. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. 100% agree, yeah. And uh, moving along to our next award, what did you give your Hot Dog with Mustard Award? Your award for the best line. Um, so I had to go with, I suppose I could hold him down while you hit him just because I, again, I love this sort of Hal that's like obsessed with this competition with this young kid and also him trying to like do the mental gymnastics of how he could get back at him using his own children, uh, was very, very funny to me. It does make me think of a, a thing my dad would always say that. He, like, overheard two, like, eight-year-olds say at a grocery store once, and then just, like, four years would say, just, just, okay, you put him in a headlock, I'll kick him in the sack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, yep. Immediately could have guessed that's what you were going to say. God, I, it was your dad's best fighting advice. <laughs> it was my dad's only fighting device exactly because he thought it was funny <laughs> exactly <Jake>. and <laughs> tell you what it works fair the fact of strategy yeah. those kids knew what they were doing exactly and <laughs> <laughs> uh, but because of that that was going to be my uh hot dog with mustard but since you took that i will go with my backup <laughs> which is a different how line and it's uh, you never work on your first day. It's just paperwork and picking out a nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> I like the hell does that day one. <laughs> yes, immediately. <laughs> I like to let that, you know, develop over time naturally. But uh, I, I, I can appreciate the real go-getterness of Hal. <laughs> <sighs> well, moving on. Uh... Which of these plot lines did you choose to give the A plot of your heart? Man, that was that was rough. Uh, but I I ended up going with the Hal uh, plot line just because I, I like one. I think the ending of Malcolm's little plot is actually very funny. But uh, also I I just I love 
when Hal gets like in these super petty competitions. I love it so much. That is fair. Uh, yeah, I had a really hard time picking one for this, but I actually ended up going with the uh, Dewey and Lois plot line. Uh, just these these very small acts of vengeance are just very funny to me. I I love it. It does have like very like Jim Dwight Frank war from the office energy. Yes. Which uh, I, I love. Which is, by the way, how I got to the office space thing. And the whole, like, is thinking about that, which then led me to the telemarketing thing, which that, yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, that's a whole thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, because that's exactly what I thought of. It It reminded me of that kind of relationship. And to see that with between... You know, Lois and one of the boys is is hilarious. So no, I can I can see why you'd pick it. It's it's a good pick. Yeah, and and again, it is like so in line with like the exact kind of just like very minor constant <laughs> pranking that was going on in my household as a kid. Yeah, like all all through growing up. That's fair. Then, uh, who did you give your top skate dog, your favorite character this episode? Um, I had to go with Hal. I mean, for the same reason I went with his uh, plot line with the singular added addition of I do love when he's trying to, like, genuinely be a good dad, but he also wants to do the thing that he wants to do. And yeah. and so we end up with those scenes where, you know, it's like him and Jamie or like him forcing the boys to do something that this will be fun. Cause it's just so relatable and it's like, it's one of those things that happened to me so much as a kid that I, I like, I don't want to do that to my kids as they're growing up, but I know I'm going to at some point. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I also gave my award to, to Hal for uh, th- those same reasons. It is nice to see Hal, like, actually being a dad for once. <laughs> right. We don't get a lot of it this show. Yeah. But, uh, you know, coupled with the standard Hal taking something minor way too far in his rivalry rivalry with a 10-year-old. Like, yeah. Perfect combination. I, <laughs> so funny. I, it's, it's such good. Oh, don't let me forget. I have something that I heard about this show, actually, on another podcast that I want your opinion on when we're done with awards. Okay. Moving on to our next award. Who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award? Your award for the best acting. Uh, I gave it to Eric Sullivan. Okay. Again, the um, man, just that those those moments, uh, like him coming out of the closet, uh, the the facial expressions and and like just just his way that of conveying everything, I thought was very very good and and just I don't know, I I couldn't get over how much I I really enjoyed his performance. Uh, also, the like smirk in bed as he was like, you know. Yeah, Mom, why would we do that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, fair enough. I did consider him, but I ended up giving my award to Frankie Munich. Okay. Because uh, I, I think he does a very good job of, like, e- even before it becomes, like, explicitly clear, like, that, that he is, like, intentionally, you know, fucking up his ability to see Stevie because he doesn't want to deal with his emotions... And I think he does, like, a a very good job of just, like, through his physicality, like, making it clear that, like, both that's what he's doing and he's aware that he's doing it. He just doesn't want to admit it to himself. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can see that. 
And who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award? Your award for the worst parent. Uh, Lois. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. She forgot she, about she Dewey. She that baking soda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say, this is one of the rare instances where it was much more of a, well, Hal's actually a good parent in this one. So Right, yeah. <laughs> like, Lois really not that shitty of a parent in this episode, but, like, Hal gives Malcolm genuinely good advice and is, like, actively trying to spend time with his kids. <laughs> exactly. Good guy Hal, man. Yeah, fair. Then, uh, moving on to our next award. What did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. The Big Mouth Billy Singing Bass. Yep, that, that was on my list. <laughs> it, it just, like, not only were these, like, so... They'd gained so much traction at this point, but also... We had got one for our grandfather, and it was uh, hanging on his wall. And all of the, like, right around this time is about where you were old enough to know that that thing was fucking annoying. But, uh, <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> but all the younger grandkids were like, man, this thing's awesome. And you're just like, God damn it, stop playing it. <laughs> If I have to hear that 10 seconds of take me to the river again. Dude, right? So help me God. Oh my God. It's so <laughs> annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that was all. There, there were a lot of options in this episode. So many. <laughs> uh, I will go with uh, human telemarketers. <laughs> uh, well, Jake, that's. You know, it's a lost art. <laughs> it it really is. <laughs> One of the first jobs the robots came for. That's right. <laughs> they took our menial, low to lower income jobs. Oh, and now they're threatening whole sectors of our economy. Good times. Eh, yeah, but it's just the arts. <laughs> Nobody cares about those. <laughs> Wow. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just the jobs people actually want to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've got to go. <laughs> yeah. You can't enjoy work, Jake. God, then it's not work. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I'm on the computer side. Please don't kill me. Don't put me in little vats and harvest me like batteries. <laughs> So who's to say they already have it, David? Look, if the Matrix is real, Jake, I, I don't, I'm with Dwight. Like, I'll, I'll take the blue pill. <laughs> like, life is going pretty good. I just got promoted to assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid. Uh, who did you go with for least shitty kid? So least shitty kid. This one was, I went back and forth on this one with my picks. Because, again, I feel like Jamie is is kind of the cop-out pick. And so I was going to pick Jamie. But then I decided, nah, nah, let's, let's, let's really stick to it. I mean, we're, we're coming to the end. We really need to, to dial it in and stick to our, our, our origins. So I went with Reese. 
Okay. He saved a life, Jacob. He saved a life. Uh, yeah. Sure. What do you mean, sure? Listen. He did, look, listen. He, did, he, he was exploitative. <laughs> he was a monster. Yeah. But literally the only kid in this episode to save a life. That look, that's that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that that is why I didn't choose him for shitties, because I will say that. <laughs> but uh, I Dave. Yeah. Went the other direction on that exact train of thought. I went with Jamie, his least shitty kid. We're almost done. Time to lay back. Who gives a shit if it's a cop-out answer? Wow. Season 7 up. Senioritis, baby. Wow. I'm coasting to the end. Oh, my God. See, this, this was very... This is, this is how we acted in... Like... <laughs> Fuck you. You're not wrong. I, fuck you. Fuck senioritis. No. You gotta finish strong, Jake. Finish strong. Which is not a like subtitle for a finished sports team. Okay? It's it's you gotta go out on good terms. I do have the distinct memory of the last week of high school. Uh, I came into my math class like 10 minutes late in the middle of my math teacher giving a speech about how seniors can't be slacking off just because, you know, it's a week from graduation. <laughs> like, he was in the middle of that speech. I walked in and when he asked why I was late, I was like, no, nah, I was taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Which was true. <laughs> uh, sleeping your life away. Yeah. And you know what happened? Nothing. It was a lot, it was a, a week before graduation, David. Yeah, listen. <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> I just couldn't I couldn't bring myself to be that way ever. Well, you missed out. Did I? <laughs> yes. Nah. I mean, I graduated early, and then I got into college early. Then I had to completely redo my college because the system sucks. You know, I, I it, it clearly worked out for me. So well. Yeah, it yeah, worked out great. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, uh, I'm depressed now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I feel like we're going to be on the same page here. Who did you have as shittiest kid? Well, that's easy. Malcolm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like, grow up, asshole. <laughs> Go see your friend. Also, like, you shouldn't treat people with, like, in Stevie's condition like they're not human beings. But you also shouldn't just completely ignore their, their life and symptoms and hardships and just try to act like they don't exist. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that is fair. Yeah, like... Yeah, it is definitely the kind of thing that, like... You, you can definitely see how they got to that point. Like, that that does, like, make sense from, like, a perspective, like, when they first met as kids. Yeah. Sure. But, yeah, it is, it is the sort of thing that, like, you're, you're, like, 17 or 18, Malcolm. Like, at some point, you have to, like, actually acknowledge these things and, like, deal with uncomfortable emotions you might have because of it. Right? Like, I... <laughs> yeah. Like, I get it. Like, my sister is chronically ill. I mean, I know you know that, but not everyone listening might. Like, I get it. It sucks to have to, like, think about those things. But you, it's, like, just as shitty of you to not, like, acknowledge that that's 
a thing. I don't, right. I don't know. Yeah, it just, I don't know. It baffles me. Fuck you, Malcolm. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, his only real competition in this episode is Reese, who, as you pointed out, does save someone's life, albeit to immediately try to exploit for his own gay. He was simply doing what he was trained to do, Jake. He's a lean, mean, selling machine. <laughs> He sure is. (laughs) He's got a really promising career as a used car salesman, Jake. (sighs) Well, uh, before we move on, uh, what what did you want to uh, ask me about, Dave? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, so one of the podcasts that, like, we both mutually listen to, but you're way the fuck behind on, was talking about Malcolm in the Middle and also uh, The Roseanne Show. Because they were talking about how Roseanne turned out to be a total fucking loon, but it was a shame because the Roseanne show was great. Um, And they were having a conversation, and they were talking about which family was poorer, um, the family in the Roseanne show or the Wilkerson's. And they, well, before I which family do you think was poorer as a longtime, like, you know, watcher of both shows? Yeah, it is rough because I've never rewatched Roseanne. Okay. You know what? I, I will say this. Uh huh. I think Dan and Roseanne probably made less money. Okay. But I think Hal and Lois, partially because of the boys, probably have way more debt. <laughs> okay. 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 Interesting. So, because our 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 podcasting uh. I guess, I don't know what you call them, uh, but people that we listen enemies. to. No, not I would never describe this person as my enemy. I mm, Listen. No. All, of, all other podcasts are enemies. Jake. He's on my list of like <laughs> there can only be one. three people that I have left that still are alive that I want to meet. Like, most other people, fuck off. Like, I don't care if I meet you or not. But this guy's one of them I'd like to meet. But uh, anyways, yeah. No, they were like, oh, yeah, no, the family in Roseanne is way poorer than than the people in Malcolm in the Middle, which I wanted to scream at him and be like, it's the Wilkerson family. Ass. Jesus. But also... Well, to, to be fair, <laughs> that, that is contentious, I, that they're the Wilkerson family. Fair. <laughs> like, we, we've run with it on this show, but... No, they're the like, Wilkerson's. E- even amongst people who worked on Malcolm in the Middle, most of them are like, they're not the Wilkerson's. They're the Wilkerson. <laughs> they type it out. They're the Wilkerson's. But... <laughs> Anyways, they are definitely poorer than the the family on Roseanne. That's my stance. Get in the comments. <laughs> Not to steal Brandon Lee Mulligan's thing, but get in the comments. Put it on Twitter. Make it a poll. Who's poor? <laughs> the Wilkerson's or the family from Roseanne? <laughs> and if you uh, the Connors, Connors, the way, that's what it was, dude. I couldn't remember. I knew it started with a C, but I was like, fuck. <sighs> I could not remember. But yeah. No, they were talking about that, and I was like, you're wrong. And I didn't want him to be wrong, but they were all three wrong. There were three nice people who were so fucking wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not one of them defended how white trash my my Wilkerson family is. uh, I think the Connors might want more white trash. (laughs) Uh, Maybe? (laughs) I don't know. That's fair. But they, I'd still think they have more money. Maybe. 
Or I could even go with a theory like yours if it was posited where, you know, they have less money, but they use it like more wisely. All right, cool. I can, you know, I can, I can stretch to that. I can see that. But to just be like, no, no, they're way poorer than the world. No, no, it's wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Roseanne has like a lot more plot lines about like, oh, no, Dan lost his job. Are we going to like lose our house? Like kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, which I think probably makes it feel that way. But they're also more responsible. They're also more responsible people. So, like, you know, one of them yes. loses their job and they're like, oh, no, how are we going to pay our bills? And Wilkerson loses their job and they're like, oh, no, I guess it's time for golf. Like, Right. <laughs> like, And I, I think it's also the thing of, like, Malcolm in the Middle is much more disconnected from reality than Roseanne Correct. is. Correct, yeah. But the, with the exception of the last season, which is literally disconnected from reality. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just I, I I heard that and I was like, God, this is such a fucking Jake and me conversation right now. And Fair. I <laughs> I was like, why why can we not be involved with it? <laughs> we need to become the sitcom experts and uh, then people when they have discussions like that, they can turn to us and we will tell you who is more of anything on any podcast or on any podcast, on any sitcom ever in the history of ever. Because Jake's gonna watch all the sitcoms. Yeah, I mean, look at that. That's that's the goal. You are literally working on it, and it's creepy. <laughs> it is basically all I watch at this point. Not for like, I would like to say it's like preparing for you know when we get through Malcolm in the Middle, but it's just all I want to watch. <laughs> yeah, you do have a weird thing with sitcoms <laughs> that I'm sure will come up eventually in the future, but. I imagine it'll come up a lot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> watch real shows, Jake. There's good stuff being made. <laughs> yeah. Like what we do in the shadows. Oh, dude, that show and is reservation so fucking bones. good. I haven't watched that one. But what we do in the shadows is fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and Wellington Paranormal. Stop bringing up good shows. Mention <laughs> shitty sitcoms so I can fucking prove my point. <laughs> I'm only watching good ones now, David. I finished Wings. <laughs> I was wa- I was waiting for like a Wings or something. <laughs> oh god! But I also finally I'm doing a thing now where I'm watching the last season of all the shows I watched up to the final season, then never watched the final season. Oh no! So like I, I just watched the final season of New Girl, and, and then uh, I, I'm finishing up the final season of Adventure Time. Finally. Dude, I don't want to finish New Girl. <laughs> Mostly, that was a really good mostly ending, I, I, say. I really like the finale. I'd have to go back and rewatch like three seasons. Uh, fair. That I ended up uh, like rewatching. I, I I skipped to season two because I watched the first couple of season one and I was like, oh, right. The show didn't know what it was at first. Yeah. <laughs> and skipped ahead. But then I, I watched everything from season two onward. Yeah. Good show. It's, it wasn't a bad show. I just, yeah, I don't know. I. Just only watch sitcoms like me, Dave. No, I'm good, man. You, you, you don't you don't need to watch any dramas. They're a waste of time. Listen, I watch dramas. I watch action. Disney's putting out that new Ahsoka show, which I don't give a shit how pissy the Star Wars people are. I've been enjoying it so far. Uh, it's nice to not be like super into Star Wars and watch like the EP that they're putting out because I can enjoy it, and other people have aneurysms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Star Wars fans are the worst. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't matter what approach you take. Anything you put out that Star Wars at this point is going to piss off a different group. Very vocal 
part of the fandom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Which cracks me up, by the way. But anyways, yeah. No, I just wanted to bring that up. So we should, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe we should put that as a poll or something for people. But I, I'm curious on people's takes about uh, which family is poor. Okay. Fair enough. I will try to remember to do Chat. that. <laughs> But uh, moving on, we do have a couple of segments left, beginning with WTF F, F uh, where the fuck's Francis? That's a good question, Jake. And you know, uh, picking up where uh, Eric left off last oh, week, you know, before he went off the rails at the end. And the uh, beginning and the middle. <laughs> no. He was surprisingly restrained because he couldn't remember who he had claimed Francis already killed. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he mentioned that Francis was, like, you know, settling down into a more normal life. And while, uh, you know, he had some uh, obviously false uh, speculations about why, uh, he is correct that, you know, Francis is, you know, trying to, you know, settle down and lead a more uh, organized, like, orderly life. You know, getting a uh, day job and, you know, steadily working. And, you know, getting getting a uh, new house for he and Piyama. And he's even being a responsible husband and homeowner. And that's why he's bought himself a couple of nice air filters to protect God, them from the Gradon radiation in their houses. Oh, my God. Because, you know, he's just a responsible guy. God, I hate how plausible that is. Uh, <laughs> but also good for you, Francis. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you finally got your shit together and turned it around with your wife. Exactly. <laughs> and he's, you know, spending his money wisely on these air filters, mm. keeping them safe, unlike their neighbors. Mm. There's no need to lie, Jake. <laughs> David, I would never lie on this show. Mm, Jake. We covered this. <laughs> I, I think you just lied just now. But, uh... Moving on, we have the Cranston Connection, as we have determined that in some form or fashion, all characters played by Brian Cranston, including the real-life actor Brian Cranston, are in some form or fashion the same character. So, David, what is this week's Cranston Connection? Well, you see, uh, Jake, as Hal is trying to just go out and have some fun, uh, unfortunately, one of his many... Alter egos slips through the cracks, and uh, the it's time to shine is now as he relives his naval battle experience from a time when he worked on a submarine and he slipped through a time rift and went into the future and had to prevent a nuclear holocaust. And in this... <laughs> Listen, I didn't write the fucking script for this movie. <laughs> wait, wait, hold up. <laughs> so you, you found a movie where he time travels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In addition to all the time travel we yeah. have put onto the story? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, well, see, see, he was on a submarine, Jake. Uh-huh. Go on. <laughs> and they travel through a rift in time to the future. And he had to, you know, help the rebels because there was like a fascist dictator. I don't know. It's not really clear, but one dude was in charge and uh, (laughs) they decided to pair up with the rebels and stop a nuclear war in the year 2077. And that 
made him learn everything he needed about, you know, naval combat and dirty naval tricks and how to, like, build submarines and torpedoes. And that's how he knew not only how to properly position himself for that perfect torpedo shot, but also how to modify that boat to win this very important naval battle against this 11-year-old boy. <sighs> okay, okay. You know, that uh, that all tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called Time Under Fire, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I figured because of uh, your title. <laughs> it looks so bad. <laughs> It sounds fantastic. It's a 1997 action movie. <laughs> I'm, you, you know, I had a feeling. <laughs> Brian Cranston's character doesn't even have a last name. It's just Braddock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who stars in uh, it? Let me, hang on. That, that has, that, that feels like a Jean-Claude It Andy, does, but me. it's not him. <laughs> oh, disappointing. Uh, let's see. Uh, Richard Tyson and Jeff Fahey. Who the fuck is Richard Tyson? Uh, he was in. Uh, he was the bad guy in Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, and he was also in Black Hawk Down. I guess I'm looking him up now. I, I looked at his mugshot. He's been in a bunch of Sounds other stuff, but vaguely familiar. But yeah, I just scared. yeah. You're, so you remember the like greasy looking, like hair slicked back, like deadbeat dad in Kindergarten Cop? No. Okay, well that's Richard Tyson. Okay. <laughs> and. I don't remember who Jeff Fahey is. I legitimately have to look him up. Uh, he was apparently in Lost and in Wyatt Earp and The Lawnmower Man and Alita <laughs> Battle Angel. He's been in nothing good. <laughs> Fair, and yet he's the one that when you said it, I, I, I like immediately could picture it. Okay. It's like, yeah, I know who that is. The other one, I'm like, I know I've heard that name, but I cannot picture a face to go with uh, it. <laughs> Jack Coleman is also oh. in this movie. Which is okay. the cheerleader's dad. Sorry, I'm looking at the cast now because I like I found Brian Cranston was in it and I was like sold because I read the synopsis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no, for sure. There are definitely a lot of Cranston connection movies where I'm like, I, I am skipping through everything that's not about his character. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, uh okay. Well there is no one else in this movie I've ever heard of. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to our last segment, David's Guessing Game. Yay! For this episode, you guessed that, uh, obviously, Stevie would be in the hospital. And you were correct, you said that he would have a surgery of some kind. Uh, and you thought that it would center around everyone forgetting about Stevie and, like, no one coming to visit him and being shitty friends, which was correct. Though you thought that it would be, like, pretty centered on Stevie himself. You thought that there would be, like, a lot of, like, angry Stevie, uh, which was not the case. And you thought that Abe would be, like, a fairly central role. As you thought that he would, like, get caught up in, like, the Wilkerson going-ons and, and kind of uh, be shitty to Stevie unintentionally as well. Which uh, Abe obviously wasn't in the episode at all, and Stevie barely was. Uh, so I would have given you for uh, that and correctly predicting that uh, Francis was not in it. Uh, I, I would have given you a uh, 75%. But as was established by Superintendent Eric, oh all that stuff basically doesn't matter this week. Because 90% of your grade 
was based on your prediction about what Stevie's hospital gown would look like. Which, by the way, I feel like I nailed. <laughs> you did. You said that it would be like an off-white gown with a blue, like, dot designs on it and a blue collar, which is all correct. So, as per Eric's ruling, you get a 97% yeah! hit. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Uh. And what do you think happens next week in Cattle Court? Well, it's no kangaroo court, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, unlike Eric's fart, Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Good question. I do immediately, because I've been watching Yellowstone. Everyone's, like, raving about how good that show is, which is, it's not terrible, but it's not as good as people said. Uh, man, I'm immediately going to, like, livestock commissions and shit. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I hate it. I hate the way my brain works. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I guess they're going to end up at some sort of cattle auction or show and... I don't know, maybe they, like, try to do the whole showing people... What what year is this? 2006? Yep. Oh, so maybe there's, like, the... Oh, you know what? This could be, like, the whole, like, subtle, like, start of the whole... Well, slaughtering animals is inhumane, and so they, you know, go to, like, some cattle show, and they, you know, meet somebody who's, like, showing them about all the... How the process is and stuff, and then, of course... One of the boys will probably fake outrage. One of them will probably actually be disgusted by it. You know, maybe Reese fakes it so that he can get, like, better techniques for the fucked up shit he does. I don't know. But I could also see Malcolm faking it because he likes a girl. And, like, doing the whole fake vegetarian thing. Is that... Are we late enough for that to be a trope in in sitcoms? What was on TV when I was 16? I don't know. I didn't have one. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> uh, Malcolm in the yeah, Middle. No shit. That's why I didn't, I've never seen this show before, Jake. I didn't have TV when I was a teenager. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not willing to commit to which boy does the shitty fake vegetarian thing. Mm, no, no. I, I, I want you to lock no, one in. No, no. Fuck yes. you. Yes. I was going to go deeper, but now you're. Listen, if I lock in a choice here, I'm not willing to go any deeper on this guess then. Wow. <sighs> you, you, you said that one was going to fake outrage and one was going to actually be outraged. I want to know what you think is I'm which. I'm trying. Malcolm's going to actually be outraged. Okay. Reese is going to fake outrage. Okay. And Dewey is somehow going to not be involved in that part at all. Okay. And God, I hope I'm right. <laughs> it won't matter, though, because any score given by you will come from a kangaroo court anyways, and I won't accept this decision. <laughs> well, it's the perfect court, because all decisions are handed down by Captain Kangaroo himself. He's a very wise man. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> God. I knew that's where you were going to go. Okay, uh, and do you think Francis will be in this episode? Oh, God, I hope not, because if Francis is there, that changes everything. <laughs> no? Yeah, yeah, just a hopeful no, because 
if Francis is there, my whole guess changes. So, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> okay, well that wraps this heavily edited episode <laughs> up. Uh... Uh, thank you for listening. As usual, thanks and credit to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. You can find links to more of his music in the episode descriptions. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games, interact with chat, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember, life is unfair.